2: Friends and neighbors, good to see you, and we welcome you to today's podcast and this week's roundtable on this Friday morning, October 2nd, when we all woke up to the stunning news that President Donald Trump and First Lady Melania Trump have both tested positive for the coronavirus. Of course, that is a stunning development, but not surprising. For a man who admittedly downplayed the seriousness of the virus for months, who refused to wear a mask, who mocked Joe Biden for wearing a mask during Tuesday night's debate, who refused to social distance even during briefings of the coronavirus task force, who insisted on holding in-person campaign rallies even after state health officials begged it, begged him not to, and for a president who just last night told the Al Smith dinner, quote, I just want to say that the end of the pandemic is in sight. For this man, it was only a matter of time. Still, with only 31 days left till November 3rd, and Trump spending the next 14 of them in quarantine, This throws the country, the economy, and the 2020 campaign in chaos. What happens next? Who knows? But let's take a first crack at it with today's panel. Gabe Benedetti, joining us, national political correspondent for New York Magazine. Hello, Gabe. Welcome back. Hey, Bill. Good to be here. Lauren Burke, writer for Black Press USA. And welcome back to you, Lauren. How are you doing? And Chris Liu, of course, former deputy secretary of labor under President Obama and Senior Fellow at the University of Virginia's Miller Institute. Hello, Chris. Hey, Bill. So all of us and all Americans wish the President and the First Lady a speedy recovery. Uh, But as I said, um, we're not totally surprised. It seemed to be only a matter of time. Uh, And I want to start with that, panelists, but let's just take a look at the last couple of days. So Tuesday night, of course, uh, the president was in Cleveland for the debate with Joe Biden um, with Hope Hicks, who later tested positive, on the plane with him and on Marine One. Uh, Wednesday, the president went to Duluth, Minnesota, for a campaign rally with Hope Hicks with him on Air Force One and and Marine One. Yesterday, Thursday, uh, the president went to Bedminster, New Jersey. Even after we heard that Hope Hicks had tested positive, went to Bedminster, New Jersey for a couple of campaign events. Came back to the White House, and then last night, uh, or early this morning at one o'clock, he announced to the nation that he had tested positive. Um, where do we start, Chris? So let's start in terms of the country and governing what happens now
1: who's in well, charge <laughs> well the president is still in charge i mean he is not incapacitated at this point there is a provision in the 25th amendment should he become incapacitated that he would turn over or he could turn over control to the vice president but i do think this speaks to a broader issue i mean look we can and should criticize the president for his own personal irresponsibility for mad- for modeling bad behavior that endangers the safety of his supporters but Above all else, he is still the president. He is still the commander in chief. And having a functioning president uh, is good for our nominally good for our democracy, usually. Uh, And so a president who is distracted by things like his own personal health, I think, is irresponsible to the entire country. Uh, That being said, look... um, The the federal government can largely run on its own. There's plenty of people who are running cabinet agencies um, and who can keep things going on time. So I don't suspect this will affect the functioning of government. But it does speak more broadly that the president's own interests should be more than just what's good for politics. It should be what's good for the country as well. By the way, for the record, uh just as we began, uh I saw on my iPhone that
2: the vice president and the second lady have tested negative for the coronavirus uh this this morning. So, um Lauren in terms of again just the running of the White House, they got a lot of contact tracing to do looking at the last couple of days, right?
0: yeah absolutely. I have a lot of contract uh, tracing to do because uh these people the, the trump Donald Trump, this administration uh they're willfully and actively stupid. they're actively and have been actively disdainful of science and factual information, and this is what results when you behave in that matter. the only The only thing that's surprising about this moment is that it didn't happen sooner. If you remember uh, on May 21st, when he was at the Ford plant, there was this big moment of, wow, the president is wearing a mask. That was an actual story, that he had wore a mask in the back. Then in July, he went to Walter Reed. And of course, I'm sure the folks at Walter Reed told him, you're going to wear a mask. This is a medical facility. <laughs> you know, you're going to visit our troops. So, so he wore it then. And then that was a big deal. Then in August, his brother died. We still don't know why his brother died, by the way. There was all sorts of rumors that it might have been COVID. Of course, nobody actually knows that. Mm-hmm. When you are irresponsible and stupid and want to pretend that 200,000 people aren't dead, and you do it inside and you're disdainful and, and making fun of reporters for having masks on, trying to get the reporters to take their mask off when they're questioning you, obviously this is this is what happens. I mean, I remember the Jeff Mason moment. Uh, Jeff Mason from Reuters. It happened to to several reporters where the president. Had chastised them for having a mask on. It's absolutely ridiculous, and of course, this is what happens w- when you're when you're when you're irresponsible.
2: Uh, so, Gabe, um, do you think that the president today um, will uh, tweet out, uh, "Hey, people, I've learned a lesson. Everybody, please wear your mask."
3: Oh yeah, sure. He's totally going to have a big pivot now. I mean, we, he does it all the time. He apologizes. He changes his behavior. Uh, next question, Bill. No, of course. I mean, I, listen. I, I don't want to don't want to make light of this situation. Obviously, it's scary to have the president of the United States be infected by a pandemic that's killed two hundred thousand plus Americans. That he's been saying will disappear. That he has purposely downplayed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't need to belabor the point here. Um, Purely from a political perspective, let's just be clear, we have no idea how this is going to play, but to expect that the president is all all of a sudden going to become super somber and, uh, you know, strike a new tone or something is just not, you know, it's completely discordant with reality, especially because we know, what does a quarantine look like? He's going to be sitting in his residence watching television uh, which isn't necessarily that different from what money, many of his days look like. But, you know, those are the days when he is tweeting a lot and is offering a lot of commentary. I hope, obviously, that the president um, recovers quickly. There are reports that he was, you know, had some small symptoms, um, light symptoms over the last day or so. But, you know, in terms of his personal comportment, I'm not going to predict anything, but except to say that we know how this president likes to act. Now, in terms of the... Um, not just the functioning of the government, but how the rest of, uh, the Washington and then specifically Republicans who've been in contact with him recently act, I think is a massive question about what happens now, just structurally speaking, the contact tracing is one thing, but listen, the president and the white house knew it seems like that, um, uh, Hope Hicks was symptomatic and potentially positive uh, before they still did some public uh,
2: mm-hmm.
3: public events, uh, as has been reported. And so there are people who were in direct contact with the president who need to be tested. Um, and, of course, we had that debate. And then, you know, there are a lot of senators, people in the people on the Hill, Amy Coney Barrett, who have been close to the president and who have been obviously interacting with a lot of different people now. I wouldn't be surprised if Washington really does have some sort of, whoa, 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 let's shut down for a second here kind of moment. And obviously, it's not just 30 days before the election, 30 odd days. We are, again, in the middle of a pandemic. We need Congress has essentially punted on another um, COVID recovery bill for, for months and months and months now. Um, so there is the political side. But, you know, the reality is there are a lot of Americans who are dealing with this, and they're going to look at this news and say, well, great. How does this help me?
2: Right. Uh, So, Chris, in terms of people who were exposed, Gabe mentioned um, the Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett. Right. You've got Mark Meadows, the White House chief of staff Um, in terms. This does raise. uh, and, And let's also throw out there we're all talking about and hopefully this is the way it is. Two weeks quarantine gets through it. He's back on the job. Right. But for many, many people who get covid, It takes a lot longer than two weeks, right? That's the best possible scenario. It could be a lot longer.
1: Well, and I think, again, it highlights, you know, the economic struggles, this idea that there are two Americas. The president has health care. He can take two weeks off. Most people in this country don't or many people in this country, particularly low-wage workers, don't have paid leave. When they get sick, they don't get paid. Uh, many of them, uh, if they are out of work because their employers have closed, uh, don't have access to health insurance. And so I think and and and, and they have to worry about buying groceries, uh, paying utilities, buying rent, so or paying for their rent. So I think it does highlight that the president has. And again, we hope that he does recover quickly, but he has a set of privileges, uh, as do all of these government officials we have talked about. You know, it's also interesting about this. I went back and looked this morning um, you know, to the extent that there are um, some saving graces from all of this, um, the president has not actually been in the same room as Speaker Pelosi since February because he detests her so much. Uh, obviously, as part of the debate preparations, the protocols on Tuesday night, uh, Trump and Biden did not shake hands. Uh, the last time Biden saw Pence on nine eleven, they 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 bumped elbows. So. Um, obviously, the Democratic leadership is going to get it at this point. But again, it does highlight the contrast and approaches that both sides have taken on this issue.
2: In fact, someone, I forget who it was, um, tweeted out this morning, that in terms of continuity and succession, that maybe Nancy Pelosi should be put in a protective quarantine. Um, Lauren, you know, because yeah. she's third in line.
0: Yeah, well, the reason why she isn't in a Protective quarantines because they had to work on uh, the Heroes Act because you know they're dealing with the Republicans. So she's actually been out and about, you know, in Washington on Capitol Hill. Uh, you know, I don't know that we needed to, need to get that far. You know, part of the problem, of course, of, of making any of these decisions is that there will be a complete and total lack of transparency, as there already has been, uh, you know, by this White House. So we won't really actually know what's going on until somebody's book comes out a year from now or days later, if somebody finally goes rogue and tells everybody. So, you know, it's not just that you have the immediate crisis of president with a disease that has uh, killed uh, a virus that has killed over 200,000 people in the country. You have a president who's a liar, who will hide things, who has a press secretary, who's a liar and lies every day in in the you know press room. So you just have these compound problems that complicate things that should not actually be as complicated as they already are.
2: So let's take a look at the campaign. Uh, Gabe, you're out on the road. We So there are 31 days left. Uh, let's say the next 12, the president is sidelined. Um, does Joe Biden campaign during that time?
3: Well, actually, that's a live question that we may know the answer to while we're recording this. Um, Vice President Biden has taken a COVID test or is taking one this morning. He's scheduled to do a lot of campaign travel in the next few days, might. Um, suspicion is that that's going to be subject to whether they feel that it's safe or not. I mean, as, as we said earlier, uh, I believe Chris said, you know, it's true that, that Vice President Biden and, and President Trump were distanced during the debate. It was still an indoors debate. It was a massive facility, but an indoors debate with wherein the president was facing Joe Biden and yelling at him for 90 minutes. So there is a certain degree of risk here. Um and I wouldn't be surprised if, if Vice President Biden essentially, you know, hammering on the message of let's be responsible about this scales back his schedule. But we're not going to get any sort of suspension of, of of his campaign. I would be shocked to see that, you know, last time I can remember a, a major candidate tried to suspend their campaign to send a message uh, late in the campaign that was John McCain in 2008. And that didn't exactly go very well for him. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, the whole point here is The the first and last point has to be safety. Joe Biden has been purposely holding a very scaled back, running a very scaled back campaign Mm -hmm. for for months now. Um, The the events that he does are very small and he wears a mask basically constantly, sometimes even during his events now. Um, Listen, I don't know. Uh, is a short answer. No one knows. They're trying to figure that out. I speak. However, um, my rambling does have a point here, which is everything is going to look different one way or another. What what are these debates going to look like? Are we going to have more debates? You know, assuming, and this might be a big assumption, I don't know, if the president uh, does, you know, come out of this just fine and is able to have a debate at full physical strength, Are they still going to put him in a room with Joe Biden? Are they going to travel? This seems like uh, everything is up in the air right now for the, you know, 900th time in the last 900 days. Um, Everything was supposed to have changed, you know, a few days ago with, with the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. Everything was supposed to have changed with the 200th death in the coronavirus. Maybe everything has changed this time.
2: Well, just on the terms of the debate, the next debate is scheduled for October 15. We are today October 2nd. 14 days, that, that that cancels that second debate, or at least postpones, postpones at the very least, that second debate. Chris, well, I, Chris oh, sorry, go ahead, Gabe.
3: Well, I was just going to say, and there's a vice presidential debate next week uh, on right. the 7th, and, and of course, while Vice President Pence... Uh, is said to have tested negative this morning. He, of course, and many people around him are in close proximity frequently with, with the president, with people around the president, including Hope Hicks. Uh, and the same goes for you know yep. Kamala Harris to people
1: with Joe Biden. Uh, Chris, you're close to the campaign. What would your advice be to Joe Biden right now? Uh, I think it's business as usual. Uh, and I think I, I mean, I think tonally they may have to change a little bit. Uh, but I do think, look, they want to present the contrast. And I think Joe Biden, you know, if he gets out on the campaign trail, continues getting on the campaign trail. He does it in the way that he's done it, which is he wears the masks. Other people wear a mask. They practice social distancing. The real problem for Trump is, is threefold. One is every day that we are talking about COVID-19 is a bad day for Donald Trump, even if it's talking about his health. He would rather do the pivot right now to law and order or to the economy. But as long as we talk, highlight the 200,000 people that have died, all the warnings that have been missed, all of the misinformation that's been dispensed, that's not a good day for him. The two other problems that he has is time and money. Chris, yeah. let me
2: just jump in there just for a second. To, uh, I think that's an excellent point. I just want to underscore. There is no way for the next two weeks that we will not be talking every day about COVID 19 now that the President of the United States has the disease, right?
1: Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. And I think that pivots to the second problem he has, which is time. We're down to 32 days left in this campaign. He is behind and he, he has precious little time left. And if you look at what has happened over the last week, not just the debate, but the New York Times story about his taxes every day. Um, is a lost news day for him when he can't attack Joe Biden and, and make up some ground. And then the third big disadvantage he has right now is money. He is facing an enormous money gap right now with Biden. And even if Biden were to pull down his campaigning, and I don't think he would, Biden could keep his ads up and he could continue swamping uh, a Trump on the airwaves. And that could have a pretty powerful effect as well.
2: So, Lauren, uh, Gabe made the point that uh, in response to my somewhat satirical question about whether or not Donald Trump might um, suddenly pivot and urge everybody, gee, I was wrong, let's take this seriously, wear a mask. Donald Trump's not going to do that. Do you think his followers might see this and say, oh, shit, right? Mm, uh, Maybe I should be taking this disease seriously now.
0: Uh, No, I I think his followers will do what they normally do, which is sort of follow and repeat and parrot whatever he says. Uh, I'm not too sure that we would be talking about this for two weeks because he has it. Uh, Really? Yeah, well, because this guy, Donald Trump is the king of wag the dog. And Donald Trump is very good at changing media narratives and understanding how to get the media to change the narrative. And he will be searching if if I mean if if history is any guide, he will be searching for a way to change the subject off of this as difficult as that might be. but he has the power of the presidency and the power of our military, and to me, you know g- given what we've seen before, i would I would bet that he'll try to figure out a way to for us not to be discussing this around the weekend of the eighteenth of October uh, and what that would be, who knows but I would say that uh, it just wouldn't surprise me if we just got a sudden something happening in our military overseas within the next, you know, 14 days.
2: So, Gabe, this may not be, Lauren is saying, the October surprise, (laughs) right?
3: I've just been operating under the assumption that we're going to get one surprise for every day of October.
2: (laughs) Um, That's a safe (laughs) assumption.
3: But I do think that this does really... Zoom us back in on an important point here, which is that much as we in the the political media, especially, um, have you know focused on a number of different issues, some of them very very worthwhile, such as the tax story, and some and some not uh, not so worthwhile. The overriding story to the American people has long been and will continue to be the pandemic that has completely upended their lives. The fact that the person who has been at the absolute center of the political gravity of our country for the last half decade now is now directly affected not just because of his mismanagement but because he's sick with it guarantees that this is a massive story. And it's a dereliction of duty if we don't make it the central story as we have not always been doing over the last few weeks, last few months especially – um, but no, of course, there are going to be more things that happen over the next month and a half, or, or the next month, I should say. Uh, for example, the confirmation of a new Supreme Court justice. That's just right. one little thing that we're ba- barely talking about. And that's going to be potentially one of the most dramatic shifts in our country's governance um, and, and, and rules for the next few decades.
2: Uh, just one little thing, nomination, confirmation right. of the next Supreme Court justice. Uh, as uh, as uh, just from transitioning to that, um, even with Donald Trump now with the coronavirus, there are lingering issues that will continue to be talked about and must be dealt with. Uh, some of them coming out of last week's debate, including the president's uh, at least initial uh, refusal to condemn white supremacists, uh, as Chris Liu mentioned, the New York Times story on taxes, uh, and as Chris just mentioned, the confirmation of a Supreme Court justice. All of that, let's dig into uh, with our uh, panel, Gabe Benedetti, Lauren Burke, and Chris Liu, right after a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod Roundtable. And today's roundtable is brought to you by the Smart Union. Yes, indeed, they got together, the sheet metal workers, the air, rail, and transportation workers a few years ago, all united into one great strong union called the Smart Union under the leadership of President Joseph Sellers. Uh, They're the workers that keep America building and keep America moving forward. We salute them for their good work and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pop.
1: Georgetown. podcast
2: And we're back with today's roundtable. Gabe De Benedetti joins us from New York Magazine. Lauren Burke from Black Press USA, and Chris Liu from the Miller Institute at the University of Virginia. Uh, well, we've never seen anything like that debate Tuesday night, to say the least. Um, And uh, it did raise a question of whether there are going to be any more debates, and if so, what are they going to be like? And it left open uh, some questions about things that Donald Trump said during the debate. Let's start with um, when he was asked by Chris Wallace directly teed up an easy answer, are you willing and will you right now condemn white supremacists? Donald Trump refused to do so, even when Joe Biden mentioned one particular group called Proud Boys. Last night, finally, two days later, Donald Trump, before he announced his coronavirus test, went on Sean Hannity and condemned the Proud Boys. Here he is.
1: I have to say, I've said it many times, and let me be
2: clear again, I condemn the KKK. I condemn all white supremacists. I condemn the Proud Boys. I don't know much about the Proud Boys, almost nothing, but I condemn that. But he should condemn also Antifa. Lauren, does that do it? Case closed?
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I think this is his habit. He did the same thing with Charlottesville, if you remember. You know, there were were bad people on both sides, and then three days later, he made a different statement. I I suspect what happened there is his unofficial White House communications advisor, Sean Hannity, told him, "You've got to put this in your rearview mirror because it was dominating." the cycle right after the debate, uh, you know, obviously for several days, uh, and his spokespeople and everybody else had, of course, no answer to it because there is no answer to it. He failed to denounce white supremacy in front of the entire nation, in front of millions of people in front of the entire world. And so unpacking that and undoing that with some visit with, uh, you know, unnamed uh, White House uh, advisor Sean Hannity is probably not going to do it because his track record is so obvious on this particular subject.
2: I thought it was interesting that uh, even raising the question of whether or not Donald Trump knew who the Proud Boys was, uh, got John Roberts the chief White House correspondent for Fox News in trouble with the Trumpers. Uh, and John Roberts finally, and I i don't know him really well, but I've been at the White House briefings, many of them with John Roberts. He's a real gentleman. He's a real class act. He's a good, damn good reporter, even though he works for Fox News. And he finally had had it with the Trumpers uh, yesterday and blast it here, here here's here's john roberts himself on fox news one more observation here
3: if the president didn't know who proud boys were and joe biden just threw out the name If he didn't know who they were, why did he denounce them? Why didn't he say, well, I don't know who they are. Can you give me a little bit more information about them and then make a decision about it? So this this all remains very puzzling. And for all of you on Twitter who are hammering me for answering that, for asking that question, I don't care because it's a question that needs to be asked. And clearly the president's Republican colleagues a mile away from here are
1: looking for an answer for it too. So stop deflecting, stop blaming the media tired
2: of it i'm tired of it
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh it's well, sort of you know, four years Hey, <laughs> <laughs> it gave it's a little out of character for john roberts right yeah
3: i mean i think that all the the twitter commentary from the the resistance crowd that said oh if you've lost fox news you've truly lost it, it really misses the mark here i mean on occasion conservatives have expressed exasperation with the president uh, and on this matter you know it seems pretty clear the president should have immediately denounced uh, white supremacists. that's no, there's nothing complicated about this um what's what's embarrassing of course is how predictably enough a number of republicans on capitol hill hemmed and hawed and said i didn't see it or yeah he should denounce them but i think he tried to some to their credit you know really uh really pushed him on this um Obviously, this is the main takeaway from the debate. It has to be other than the 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 general disaster of the debate and the president's, you know, strategy of just blowing it all up and completely proving himself, um, you know, incapable of letting Joe Biden have 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 a few minutes of airtime to himself. Um, yeah, obviously, the the refusal to to condemn white supremacy is, is clearly, clearly the main the main issue here. I think if we're looking at this electorally, you know, so much has been said over the last few the last few years about how the president is playing to his base and his base isn't leaving him, et cetera. And that's always been uh, very overblown here. The reality is that the president has been losing his reelection. Very consistently for well over a year now, and the onus has been on him to pretty significantly change a, a large chunk of the country's views of him, or at least enough on the margins to make the difference in a number of swing states. The argument that he did it, he did that, or even came close to doing that, on the debate stage is well. I actually, I don't. I don't even want to denigrate yeah. the argument because I haven't heard anyone make it. It's just not even possible.
2: Right. So, Chris, um, Charlottesville and now this this d- debate tobacco why is it so hard so difficult for donald trump just to outright condemn white supremacists
1: you know, what I go back to is the comment that Tim Scott made uh, on Wednesday after the debate where he said, you yep. know, I think I think he misspoke and I think he should correct it. And, and if he doesn't correct it, I guess he didn't misspeak. And I think that says it all. Uh, you know, um, if it was simply not hearing Joe Biden talk about Proud Boys or mentioning Proud Boys, if it's simply really not knowing who the Proud Boys were, you correct it right after the debate or the day afterwards. The fact that it took him two days to correct this and it is just is telling. And I think what's interesting about uh, the John Roberts exchange that you played, is that um, that that followed this kind of extended back and forth with the White House press secretary where he's trying to push her. Does the president condemn white supremacists? And she just keeps going back and forth and not actually saying it. So, again, that that, that failure to address this directly is telling, as is the kind of four to five days of cleanup they did uh, in 2017 after Charlottesville. I mean, they want to send a very clear message to, to this kind of hardcore group of supporters, the white supremacists that were within were with you, um, they also understand that it potentially alienates a lot of other people. It does alienate a lot of other people. So they kind of quickly clean up, but they're trying to send two different messages. Uh, and it's really, as Gabe said, this is doing uh, nothing in terms of expanding their base. And I think it's telling but, that that is the takeaway from the debate the other night.
2: And it seems to me that it also may have something to do with, I believe, the only group of voters that Donald Trump is leading in are are white men, right? Uh, And a lot of whom are members of these organizations, or these organizations are made up exclusively of white men, I should say. So the other part of the debate that did raise some concerns is that, once again, Donald Trump, Chris, I want to stay with you with this, Donald Trump said, uh, my followers, I want you to go out, go out to the polls and be there and make sure that everybody's voting Honestly and legally, a massive army of poll watchers, his latest effort to kind of disrupt or at least throw doubt on the outcome of the election.
1: Chris, yeah, look, legal? Look, uh, uh, but campaigns always have poll watchers. I mean, that is a typical thing. One from each side. One from each side. It's it's an organized process. You stand there behind um, the, low, the the election officials and you you know you monitor and in case there are questions you answer them there are set procedures you have to be you know either in the room or a certain distance away from the polling booth that's not what he's asking for here I mean what he's asking for here really vo- verges on voter intimidation you know and and that's not going to play very well in you know very blue areas but look in a lot of other places where you've got communities of color that have been traditionally disadvantaged and disenfranchised and intimidated from voting, that could have a powerful impact. And even if it doesn't have an impact, we also have to understand the crush of people that show up at polls on election day. Even if you have some certain number of people that are disrupting the process, that makes it harder for people to get in. Uh, and it just creates more of a nuisance. And so again, uh, you know, I think it, it's it's telling that this is his approach to trying to win an election and tr- instead of trying to expand his base of support and come up with arguments about why he deserves a second term.
2: And Lauren, this really is uh, an effort to suppress the vote in uh, communities of color, isn't it? I mean, as, as Chris yeah. mentioned, he's well, doing this in the cities, not out in the rural white areas, right?
0: It's a laughable attempt. This idea of you know the call to his supporters is a laughable attempt to intimidate people, which is, is certainly not going to work, I, you know, one of the things that I'm really unimpressed by, quite frankly, called me from the Bronx, is this idea that the Proud Boys are going to somehow show up in, and and take over. It's laughable to me. If you notice with white supremacists, they show up in places that um, are very sort of one-off or, places where nobody is gonna offer that much. You know, I mean Dylan Roof goes and, and, and shoots people at a Bible study. Three of three three or four of whom are over seventy years old. They're not going to Newark or the Bronx or Brooklyn or anything like that, and the reason they're not doing that is they'd get their asses kicked, and they know that. So Donald Trump is a tough talker, a big mouth from Queens who thinks he can intimidate people by speaking, who's probably watched too many episodes of you know some crime movie or whatever when he was a kid, but in reality, none of this stuff is going to happen. And you probably saw this week that LeBron James has an initiative to increase the number of poll workers in African-American cities uh, and they've already got 10,000 volunteers for that. But even if they weren't doing that, you know, th- this is silly, fake, tough guy movie nonsense that the president is offering. It's not going to happen. And, you know, if they want to, you know, have these little fake race race war discussions, it- it's not cute. I think it is dangerous. But in reality, what we see in reality is that none of these people show up in any place where... <laughs> Where, where any sizable number of African-Americans are. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's a little bit laughable to me.
2: So, Gabe, um, okay, uh, there's one other big story of the week, uh, not even a week old yet, although we're, it sort of disappeared. Uh, that's the nature of things, the news these days. And that was the New York Times bombshell story last Sunday, that, uh, last Monday, I guess it was, that Donald Trump... Um, in 2016 and 2017, paid a total of $750, period, in taxes, and 10 out of the last 15 years paid zero in taxes and owes some $420 million in loans that are about to come due. Gabe, does anybody care?
3: <laughs> yes. Uh, short answer is yes. I mean, obviously, as I you said you think this or, could
2: make an impact?
3: Yes, I do. Uh, before, we talked about How important it is that we keep in mind that the pandemic is obviously the most important thing um, to a a ton of voters. But let's let's be very clear here: this story has existed for a long time because (laughs) President Trump has tried so hard not to make it exist, and that's why it's grown in the in the national consciousness. The question of his tax returns. This is a story about fairness. It's a story about inequality. It's a story about. National security in some ways. But when you look at the question of whether this will actually matter to voters, a central piece of the Donald Trump um, uh, appeal to a lot of voters who voted for President Obama in 2008. um, And and 12 potentially. And then for him was he often said, you know, those elites in Washington, they play by a different set of rules. I'm going to blow it all up. And a number of people believed him. This shows that he is playing by a completely different set of rules from the vast majority of people. Um, You know, it's very easy for Joe Biden to say, if you're a teacher making twenty thousand dollars a year, you paid more taxes than Donald Trump, federal income taxes than Donald Trump. Uh, There's a problem there. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to be the game changer to change it all, but uh, the reality of the story here is that you know Donald Trump needs to be making up massive margins right now in a lot of these places among mm-hmm. these kinds of voters. And even if this is going to harden some people against him on the margins or make people say, well, maybe he's not really the businessman that we thought, we thought he was, that's a disaster for him. And also, by the way, it, this 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 does have pretty significant legal ramifications potentially for the president. Forget the political side for a second. Uh, we often just talk about this in terms of politics. Is he's going to lose his base, etc. I mean, if this is if a lot of this reporting is true, and there's absolutely no reason to believe it's not, uh, I can think of a few attorneys general who are looking very closely at his activities. Um, and that's you know, if he if he leaves office, that's something he's going to be very concerned about.
2: Yeah, Chris, As uh, I think Carl Bernstein um, made the point on CNN that being very clever uh, by taking advantage of loopholes is
1: one thing. Tax evasion is a federal crime. Yeah, and and Gabe is one hundred percent right. I mean, this look—it's hard to ever say that anything in this um, news cycle really uh, is going to make one difference another. But I do think of the stories we have seen in recent weeks. I think this one has resonated because that seven hundred and fifty dollars figure—just—it's it something that average Americans could grasp because, as Gabe just said, you could earn $20,000 a year and you would pay $780 in federal taxes a year. I also think it gives a powerful opening to Biden to sort of contrast his economic message. And on the economy, that's the one area where he's still lagging Trump at this point. And Biden could talk about his approach, whether it's increasing the minimum wage, whether it's cutting uh, college costs, and contrast that with the Trump approach, which has been based on tax cuts for the wealthy and for corporations, even during a pandemic, Trump still wants to cut capital gains taxes, which doesn't really affect most Americans. And again, it it highlights this broader narrative that the system is rigged against average Americans, and what Donald Trump promised to do, he hasn't done.
2: And Lauren, it seemed to me that the power of the New York Times story was it. It's simplicity in the sense it was a story. It was long. Right. But everybody could understand when they boiled it down to seven hundred and fifty dollars in those two years. I mean, boom, everybody gets it.
0: Well, yeah, because everybody pays taxes and, of course, everybody can relate with that story no matter who you are, where you are in this country. And I think the you know, irony is, just as with Al Capone, even though we talk about all of these things that Donald Trump, Trump has done across the board in our government that have been patently illegal uh, and right in front of our face— Uh, particularly with regard to self-dealing, what is likely to take him down is tax evasion after he's out of office. And I'm sure the AG in New York is paying very close attention to what The New York Times wrote. And so, yeah, there was simplicity because everybody understands money and everybody understands taxes. And uh, the fact that the president couldn't immediately come out and and prove uh, anything, because, of course, he doesn't want anyone to see his taxes, is another indicator that the New York Times story is, is probably completely accurate.
2: Yeah, indeed. Well, uh, what a week it's been, and what a day uh, it's been. What well, the next couple of two weeks we're going to be uh, living through. Uh, we thank you, Chris Liu, and Gabe De Benedetti, and Lauren Burke. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great to have you with us. Um, and let's just close with uh, a couple of thoughts here, if if I if I may. Uh, yes, we begin. Um, with the stunning news today that the president has tested positive for the coronavirus as well as the First Lady. Whether we are Republican or Democrat, all Americans, we wish the president and the First Lady a speedy recovery. But at the same time, it must be said that this proves you can't believe a word Donald Trump says or has said about the coronavirus. It was wrong of him, Uh, not to take it seriously for months. It was wrong of him not to wear a mask. It was wrong of him to mock others, including Joe Biden, for wearing a mask. Wrong for him not to social distance. Wrong for him to hold rallies when state officials begged him not to. Uh, And wrong for him to say repeatedly that the coronavirus was going away. So please, Everybody, my final word is ignore anything Donald Trump says about the coronavirus. It is not going away. 7.3 million Americans have contracted the disease. Over 211,000 Americans have died from COVID 19. Over 20 states just yesterday reported an increase in cases. It is not going away. So please, wear your mask, practice social distancing, keep your kids home, keep your family safe. I realize we all want it to be over. We're all impatient. It's been a real pain in the ass so far, but we made it through seven months. We can make it through another three or four months until there's a vaccine and we can get back to normal uh, if we all just do the right thing. So please take care of yourself, stay safe, stay strong, and come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.